From Flourish DX, this is the Psych Health and Safety Podcast. With workplace mental health becoming a safety prerogative, this is the source of information on psychological injury prevention and health promotion. Welcome to the latest episode of the UK Psych Health and Safety Podcast. Uh, My name is Sheila Lord and today I am joined by a new co-host who's filling in for Peter this week uh, and that is Jason Bantry from Flourish DX all the way in Perth, Australia. Welcome Jason. Thanks for having me Sheila. It is good to be on the second best Psych Health and Safety Podcast on the internet. (laughs) Fantastic. And joining us today is Kate Field from BSI. Kate is the Global Head of Health, Safety and Wellbeing uh, at British Standards Institution. And Kate is from a health and safety background uh, with over two decades, although she doesn't look it, um, experience in her field. Um, So we're going to be talking to Kate today uh, primarily about the uh, 45,003 standard um, and looking at kind of since its launch, how this has been received um, across industry. Um, so we're seeing a lot of interest. I know Jason certainly is. Um, I know we at BMR are seeing a lot of interest in the standard and not just for those accredited to 45,001, just generally on, on a really wide scope. Um, so Kate, I'm going to hand over to you. This is something obviously that you've been involved in for quite some time now. Um, so give us the background around the standard and why it was developed um, and how it's structured within, for, for, for the listeners that, that don't really know, how, how it's structured and why it's structured the way it is uh, within 45,001. Lovely. Thank, thank you, Sheila. And uh, nice to meet you as well, um, Jason. And uh, yeah, thank you for, for inviting me. Um, it's great to be able to talk about this exciting new international standard. So why has it been developed? The International uh, Committee who developed 45,001, and for those of you um, who don't know the numbers and the terminology, I'll try and catch myself, and I apologise if I don't and I miss it. So ISO 45001 is the first international standard on occupational health and safety management. So standards are, in simple terms, they're how-to documents, how to uh, uh, implement and use a health and safety management system or any other subject that standards are are written about and they're developed by a group of international experts coming together from around the world bringing all their expertise all their insights all the best practice into one place and agreeing what a single document and, and source toolkit will look like so that's kind of the the context of of standards and 45001, so this Occupational Health and Safety Management Standard was um, developed and published three years ago now, uh, actually coming up to three and a half years ago um, in 2018. And it was based on actually uh, a British standard that BSI wrote um, and 18001, but it was developed into a fully fledged international standard. And within um, that standard, it talks about the management of health and safety hazards and risks. And that includes health and safety. And as we know, uh, and this is true around the world, you know, health has always been the the forgotten element of health and safety, although it was generally at the front. (laughs) um, There's always been a focus on safety and not on, on health. 
aspects of that are improving, particularly so sort of for more physical health issues, so occupational cancers, occupational asthmas, occupational dermatitis. But there's there's a forgotten part of health, and that's psychological health and safety. And although that international standard does reference and draw attention to some forms of psychological health and safety hazard and risk, there was a recognition by the International Committee that it's, it's the one area of health and safety that is less known um, and organisations need much more help and support to understand what to do and how to do it. And that's because there's a lot of myths and misconceptions about psychological health and safety, a lot of fear that, um, you know, because it's, it's potentially dealing with um, mental illness, that people have a lot of stigma associated with that, a lot of nervousness about having the competency or saying the wrong thing. And therefore, the International Committee decided to write 45003, ISO 45003, as an additional guideline document to really help and support organizations understand and tackle this issue in a really robust way. So again, it's a how-to guide for um, identifying these hazards that, that arise from work that can cause psychological ill health, and then a how-to guide about what to do about it. Uh, so it's a, it's, a, it's a really great standard. And it is designed to work with 45001 because it's about health and safety management so they're designed to complement and support each other but you don't have to be using the first one 45001 to use 45003 you can use it as a as a standalone and then just the other point of your question Sheila kind of the the way that they're structured so international uh, ISO, the International Standards Organization, for all international standards to help organizations to provide consistency and to help organize integrate standards, they set um, a specific structure um, that has to be followed. Um, and it's to do with, you know, the, the kind of how you structure it in terms of setting the context, what leadership have to do, how you plan it then how you implement it and then how you check it. They use a plan, do, check, act approach and that structure is set. So all international standards follow that same structure um, and 45001 follows it. And then because 45003 is designed to complement 45001, you'll see that they're basically very similar structure, but there are a couple of additions, which I'm sure we'll come on to for 45003. Okay, fantastic. Um, and you talk about obviously 45,001 and 45,003. So 45,003 is a child standard, isn't it, of, of the 45,001. So it sits alongside it. So it's structured in exactly the same way. Um, when we're looking at um, adoption of this, I mean, just to put it into context, on a global scale, how many companies are currently certified to 45,001? Um, so that's that's some that, that's actually a question I can't answer uh, because um, it's it's very interesting. So obviously uh, the uh, international standards organisation um, and the 
uh, there's like a, a governing body for certification um, bodies. So mm -hmm. BSI is a certification body, so we offer certification. They do uh, a survey every um, three years generally um, and go out and, and try and get a global picture of exactly how many um, certifications there are. And because 45001 is a brand new standard, it's only three years old, that survey hasn't been uh, done yet. So I can't answer it as a, a specific number. Mm -hmm. What I can tell you that is that it is one of uh, our biggest selling standards. Um, and actually, we have thousands of clients globally who have already certified to 45,001. Um, and we also know that that is a growing trend. So, you know, it is easily on a par. There are kind of the there are four big standards that are used internationally, kind of the, the big ones. So not unsurprisingly, because it was kind of the first one is quality management, which is 9001 for people who want the numbers. Um, then 14001 on environmental came through. And then we had uh, information security. So if I get my numbers right, 27,001. Um, and then we've had um, 45,001 come along. And actually, we are seeing the interest in 45,001 uh, overtaking now um, 14 and also information security. So it is huge. So, you know, thousands of organizations of all sizes, all sectors are using it because they recognize it's you know it's this it's this global good practice tool about occupational health and safety management fantastic yeah really interesting kate um i mean we're a big believer of the value of um standards ourselves we have been certified uh to twenty seven thousand and one because mm -hmm. we are a information technology company and so we need to make sure that we are keeping client data secure um, and that really is kind of what made our um, ears prick up, if you like, when we heard about the development of um, 45,003 some time ago. Um, in Australia, obviously, compared to the rest of the world, health and safety is pretty paramount. Like we have a very um, mature um, health and safety industry over here, uh, similar to the UK. Um, and I really see that 45,003 does you know, close a big gap um, in the understanding of the uniqueness of psych hazards and how to manage them appropriately in the, in the risk. Um, but specifically, what do you think the benefits are for companies um, around the adoption of 45,003? So I think, you know, we, we've seen a, a number of benefits. I mean, so I suppose I have to be honest and say 45,003 is brand new. It was only published about a month ago. So although a, a number of organisations, you know, got a copy of the draft and have started implementing it as a draft and now are reviewing it and implementing it as a as a full published standard, you know, we're still early on in terms of that that process. Um, but we we know from other research, we know from um, our data from clients that about the benefits they get from implementing health and safety management systems. And I think one of the things that we we tend to do with health and safety is we we focus on the on the negative. We focus on, well, it will stop you hurting people. It will stop you. It will stop injuries. It will stop abs absence rates. And it absolutely does. There's evidence that, you know, if you are using global good practice, then, of course, you are going to get those improvements. But actually, the biggest benefits come from 
other areas that are much more positive. So you see things like if we're, if we're talking about maybe a manufacturing type um, situation or even services, you see an improvement in quality of delivery of the product and the service. And the reason for that, I always think of it as simple, but I realize I've been doing this for 20 years and I live it and breathe it every day. Um, but if you just step back and think about it, if you work for an organization that looks after you and you feel looked after, you'll pay a bit, little bit more attention. You'll go that extra mile to do a really good job. And that's what good health and safety and particularly psychological health and safety gives. So you get an improvement in, in quality or service delivery. You get an improvement in staff engagement. People like to be there. They want to be there. They want to help their organization grow and prosper people will stay <laughs> in your organization. Um, I mean, if they're unhappy and they're not being looked after, they'll leave. So, you know, you're, you're, you're keeping the best talent, which is a huge issue at the moment. You know, there's, it's all over the news in, in terms of the, the, the vacancies that organizations are facing and, and, and recruiting that talent. And of course, the positive side is if you're seen as a good organization that looks after your people, then you'll get that talent, which is, you know, a real issue. Um, it, it helps with complying with the law. A standard isn't uh, a direct link to con con um, complying with the law, but because it, it helps you establish your processes for doing that, it helps where you you need to comply with the law. Um, and, you know, there, you, then you see, and, and this was really interesting, you know, I think psychological health and safety, you know, in terms of an issue for businesses has is, is been around for a number of years now. But with the last 18 months of the COVID-19 pandemic, I think that that has raised even further up, up the agenda. And one of the things that BSI does every year is we carry out a survey to look at organisational resilience. So, you know, there, there's a structure, unsurprisingly, there's a standard on it. <laughs> Um, but there's a structure about what an organization needs to do to be resilient for the long term, so not be able to survive disruption like this, but also thrive for the long term. And we did the survey last year, obviously, in the, in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic. And, and the, the biggest result that came through from that survey was those organizations that had prioritized their, their people, had focused on helping and supporting their people during a really challenging time, were the most resilient. So they were not only able to weather the storm of the COVID-19 pandemic, but and obviously this varies around the world, but for those organizations that are starting to, to come out of the other end into, if you like, calmer waters, they are in a much more robust place and, and doing, in simple terms, much more successfully than other organizations. And I think this is often overlooked at, you know, looking after your people is good for your business. It's simple, really. Um, Kate, but... When I talk to um, companies, they say they've been doing workplace mental health really well for years. They, you know, they have fruit bowls, they have yoga, they have corporate massage, they have free gym memberships. How is ISO 45003 any different to that? Yeah, so uh, yeah, yoga and yoga initiatives, they are the bane of my life. Uh, so 
look, you know, I don't want to take away from that. You know, there there is a place for helping and supporting individuals to understand how to live a, a healthier life, both physically and mentally. You know, that it's again all over the news. There's plenty of research that says that you know the 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 more conscious and the, the more effort we take in, in looking after our own personal, physical and mental health, the better that will be for us in the long term. But the key challenge with those initiatives is they are focused on the individual and they're not focused on the organisational causes. Um, and this is the, I think this is why it's been such an issue for such a long time is organizations have wanted to do the right thing they've wanted to um, help and support their people and they've they've put in these things and you know you putting some EAP some mental health first aiders some resilience training you gotta love some resilience training um they all they all have a part to play but they are not addressing the root cause of the problems in the organization um and that's where the the issues lie um i can't i can't remember i was listening to your earlier podcast i can't remember how peter oh here peter said it about his his fish ponds that was right which i really loved <laughs> so peter kelly on one of your earlier um uh had, had said he'd had a fish pond and he some fish had been dying uh and uh you know he thought that just the fish weren't very resilient you know they they weren't coping with the with the environment very well and he got an expert out and found out actually the the filter in the uh the pond was broken and that was killing the fish it's a perfect it's a perfect analogy to uh actually what goes on within organizations you know they they have uh, individuals who talk about maybe work-related stress or they've got cases of burnout or people going on um absence because of work-related depression and anxiety and they they think it's the people that aren't resilient they just can't cope with the environment um, and actually it's a blocked filter that is poisoning the environment that the organization needs to deal with and that's what 45003 is about it's about the organizational causes and therefore the organizational solutions to the problem and not the individual um, and that is the step change and what's really exciting because that's been the missing link and why organizations when they've implemented these initiatives have seen some maybe some short-term benefits because people feel a little bit looked after and they feel like it's positive but it's never long-term it's never sustained because they haven't been dealing with those organizational issues yeah i think you've hit on two issues that that exists currently in workplace mental health one is the focus on individuals and symptoms the individual's a problem not the work environment so let's fix the individual make them more resilient to adverse work conditions mm. um, and the second thing is if we think about the demands and um, resource model um, there's been a lot of focus on giving people more resources as in individual coping resources and not enough on reducing demands. And that's really the focus of 45,003, obviously identifying the hazards and reducing the risk, uh, eliminating first of all, and then reducing the risk to as low as reasonably practicable. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the other way I explain it from a from a health and safety point of view, because, again, you know, it is a health and safety risk, although you know it's not necessarily understood, but I, I draw... 
um, the linkage through to fire safety within an organisation. So organisations, when they're looking at health and safety risks, need to identify what might cause a fire, how to manage it. You know, they put in controls to manage that the fire risk. So, you know, fire extinguished fire alarm systems, they train up their people about what to do in case of a fire. They practice the drills. You know, they are all organisational level controls. Um, and that is going to protect and make the most difference to the most people. Of course, particularly when we're talking about evacuation, there may be individuals that need a little bit of extra support during an evacuation, you know, either on a temporary basis because they've got a broken leg and they're on crutches. So they, you know, they need some support while they're recovering or they might have a longer term, um, maybe mobility issue. So they might be in a wheelchair and therefore they need support again for evacuation. And that's the same when we're dealing with psychological health and safety. You know, we are looking at those organizational level controls which will protect and support the most people. But within that, there may be one or two individuals that need some additional support in the short term or maybe over the longer term um, because of, of temporary illness, both physical and mental. And they just need a little bit of extra support. Um, but if you're not dealing with those, you know, those organisational level issues, then you're not going to be protecting the, the bulk of your workforce. Um, and you also, you know, the, I think the other thing, and, and this is one of the challenges, is if you focus on those individual issues, you, you risk actually creating barriers and additional stigma rather than dealing with the high level issues and breaking down those barriers and the stigma that can be particularly associated with mental ill health. Yeah, not to mention the inefficiency, right? Trying to like, you know, hammer all of the, uh, the nails. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So, Kate, in terms of um, how the standard's been received, um, I know that you've been, you know, BSI have been doing a lot of webinars. You've been putting a lot of stuff out there, Jason. I know with the free ISO training, we've seen a lot of uptake um, in terms of interest. How are you finding that for for existing users of 45,001, Kate, and, and the interest, I would, and I would say aimed really at, from, a, from a senior level perspective from mm -hmm. business leaders, how are you seeing that, that interest? Because what I come across a lot is that people in middle management and lower down the people that are in the workplace are really keen, really, really keen. But yeah, I still, one of the, the frequent barriers that we come across is that, senior leadership teams are just not interested they still perceive it as a as a as, a, as you said before a person problem mm. so I'll, I'll answer it in in two parts so overall the level of interest has been phenomenal uh which i'm just so excited about um because you know it make makes such a difference to so many organizations and and then obviously cascade down to uh individuals I mean, I, I am seeing the same level of interest in this standard as I saw three and a half years ago when 45001 was launched. Um, so the, the global interest is phenomenal. And again, you know, just to reiterate the, the point that that is interest from all sizes of organisations, from, from micro through to multinational um, and across all sectors as well, you know, it is designed to be accessible for, for everyone, all organisations. So, yeah, without a doubt, the, the interest is, is phenomenal. And to answer your question in, in terms of the, the sort of the middle management versus leadership piece, 
I think, you know, historically, you're right, there's, I call it a blind spot, there is, there is something about health and safety that senior leaders just don't like engaging with. (laughs) I've been doing this for 20 years, and I haven't nailed down what or why that is, you know, because you can make the business case, you can show them the numbers, you can show them the benefits, you can scare them, you know, or if you don't do it, you know, you'll go to jail. I've seen all of that tried <laughs> um, with varying levels of success and, and overall just sort of limited, I think. Um, and I think it's because they haven't made the connection to the people. Mm-hmm. And what has happened in the last 18 months in particular is that connection to the people has has been made. You know, we've we've had that breakdown of hierarchical barriers we have all been in the situation of dealing with covid you know we have all had the same challenges we have all suddenly been at high, well i mean again I, that's generalizing hugely but you know there's a lot lot of the working population who went from working in the office one day to working on their at their kitchen table the next and i'm back at my kitchen table because my internet died so i've had to <laughs> move today um you know, and senior leaders leaders were in that position and they had their kids come in because they were whole, home, homeschooling. They had the cat jump up and show everybody their fluffy tail, um, you know, and it's really broken down the barriers. And we, we, we suddenly we're all seeing that understanding that we're all human. We're all people. We all have the same hopes, dreams, emotions and challenges. Mm. And therefore, we have seen this shift that leadership and now understanding the value of people, which is, I mean, it's, for me, it's crazy because they're people and why wouldn't you? But I, it's its taken a global pandemic uh, as a social experiment to really break down those barriers. And again, coming back to the, the organisational um, resilience index I mentioned, you know, it's become clear that the organisations that have looked after their people have been the most successful. And now as we come out of the pandemic and, you know, a, a lot of people have considered the, their lives, their working lives, you know, what they want out of that. And they are asking much tougher questions about particularly their work life. And if they are not getting the best out of that, if they're not feeling looked after, if they're not feeling fulfilled, they're thinking, why? This is crazy. You know, why will I stay? I'll I'll go to another organization that actually cares. And senior leaders are seeing that. They're seeing if they've got it wrong, they're seeing huge tranches of their talent leave. Um, and for organizations that are getting it right, you know, they're seeing a huge income of talent um, because, you know, it's a much more attractive place to work. And we're still seeing that wave and we're still, you know, particularly as different pandemic waves hit different parts of the world we're seeing that so I think it's really brought it uh, to the forefront of of leaders minds in a a way that just hasn't happened before Um, and therefore they are the ones asking the question about how do we ensure that we are looking after the the psychological health and safety of our people in the short term but also the medium and longer term yeah I think you're sorry go on Jason yeah, I was going to say it's it's a bit like a perfect storm, though, right? So I, I definitely agree that the pandemic has highlighted the um, the importance of people and how human everyone really is, and and all the rest. Um, but at the same time, not only are employees voting with their feet for you know when they're working for an employer who doesn't care about them, but shareholders are as well. 
which is bringing to the board's agenda the idea of sustainability and making sure that we um, socially look after um, the needs of our workers. Uh, there's been some very uh, high, highly visible um, uh, instances in the UK where companies haven't looked after their employees and what that's actually done in the marketplace for companies. Um, in Australia, there's some things happening. So there's, there's two things, right? There's the, the positive, let's create sustainable businesses. And that means looking after our people, not just the environment. Um, but then also, um, let's make sure that we reduce the reputational risk um, by not having a, a mentally healthy workplace uh, as well. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Um, I mean, that that has been an ad additional driving factor. And I, I think also, you know, over, over the last couple of years, we've had some other things that have just raised the people agenda. So Me Too, um, Black Lives Matter have just, I think, galvanised that focus on on people. But you're, you're right, you know, there is um, a a, a big move to um, uh, a focus from shareholders on sometimes it's called ESG so environmental social governance um, issues um, so shareholder capitalism towards um, stakeholder capitalism you know is, is that piece and you know you're you're right uh, in a lot of industries now um, where they've got shareholders shareholders ask, are asking questions it used to be if they ask the question, it used to be just what are you doing to, you know, to protect the, the environment? You know, what are you doing in terms of climate? But actually, they are asking that people question now, um, without a doubt, Jason, you know, that is an additional driver, particularly for the larger organisations. Yeah, and not just for the organisations themselves, right, but also their um, supply uh, chain as well. Um, you know, who are their contractors? Had a really interesting uh, conversation with someone who used to work for a, a social media giant. And uh, they would outsource a lot of their content moderation uh, to smaller companies. Mm. Uh, and so really they're actually pushing the psych hazard um, to yeah, another organization. Oh, yeah. yeah. So really interesting, right? So it's all well and good for, you know, the Facebooks, Twitters, Googles of the world to have really good practices in place to support the well-being of their employees. But what about their contractors who they're pushing a lot of this high risk uh, work down to um, when you think about psych hazard exposure? Yeah, so I mean, I yeah, that's a whole separate um, podcast, isn't it, on on content moderation? Um, but you, you're right. we've, we've, we've already done it. So. Have you already done it? I'll I'll go and listen to that one. I hadn't I didn't hadn't dig that dug that one out. No, no, um, it's coming. It's coming in a few weeks. Uh, so okay, I, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> um, no, I mean you're 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 right. But actually, this is one of the really interesting things with um, so forty five thousand one as the overarching health and safety management system, but then also in it's reflected in 45,003, um, there's a specific aspect that talks about, you know, if you contract or you outsource some of your activities, what's the health and safety implications of that? You know, it, it, it is not acceptable um, to basically say, well, that's that's too difficult for us. We'll give it to somebody else and then we don't have to worry about it. Um, I mean, that doesn't align with those social values and quite often doesn't, you know, the, a lot of these organisations will say, you know, we, we we value the community. We're about doing the best thing for everyone. And, and, and then, you, as you say, Jason, you know, they take these really nasty bits of their work and they go, well, we'll just give it to somebody else and then we don't have to think about it. Well, actually, you know, both of these standards focus on that and say that is completely unacceptable. Um, you know, if you, if you are genuinely committed to looking after people, you should be genuinely committed to looking after 
everybody in your supply chain and and simply you know pushing it um out of your kind of eye line is is not acceptable and is is missing the point and i and i think that's you know one of the additional benefits um and i think the the other thing that's that's worth mentioning and you know given your uh, base of operations jason in australia you know we're seeing a, a much more focus on um, increasing regulation and legislation associated with um, psychological health and safety. A lot has been there, or it's certainly been part of general health and safety, but it, again, it's it's been forgotten. Um, but we are seeing a real move across um, a number of countries for strengthening legislation specifically related to psychological health and safety. Um, and I think, you know, because there's a recognition that organisations, again, sadly, haven't done this voluntarily and therefore need a, a, a bit of a stick to push them in the right direction. Yeah, I think we've been trying to carrot for a long time, right? Trying to demonstrate ROI and, yeah. you know, saying it's just good business, but, you know, companies haven't changed their practices. So sometimes a bit of a stick is, is needed. But some of these discussions that all the conversation we've been having kind of leads into my next question um, on the sustainability angle um, is Peter believes that this will never be certifiable, this, this standard. Um, but for those companies that are trying to measure social impact, the S in ESG, and report on that to shareholders. Mm. Um, surely having a certifiable standard in 45,003 would actually help them to demonstrate that they are committed to best practice. But I'm, I'm interested in, first of all, your opinion, do you think this will ever be certifiable? I think I know what your answer is going to be to that. And um, <laughs> But then also, how if, if it's not going to be certifiable, um, then how else could companies demonstrate uh, or measure the social impact and how they are taking a best practice approach to protecting psychological health. Okay, so two, 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 two parts to the question. Um, so I'll answer the first part uh, first in terms of the certifiable. So um, bear with me listeners as I try and explain the quirky, quirky world of international standards. So there, there, is a, there are rules and frameworks that are associated with international standards. And, and Sheila mentioned that 45001 is um, a parent, uh, and that's how I describe it. So there are kind of like the core standards, and they're called requirement standards. And those core standards um, are the standards that are then available to be uh, offered as accredited certification. Now, accredited means that certification bodies like BSI and others um, have to demonstrate uh, basically a, a very rigorous quality management system to the processes that we use for coming in and doing those third party audits to say that you know, your, your organization is meeting those standards. So it's a very rigorous and a robust process. And as I say, that is only available for these, what I call parents, um, uh, standards. And then underneath those parent standards, there are a range of, of different sort of sibling cousins, second cousins standards of, of, of all of different of different types. And 45,003 is, is a sibling standard. So it's a guideline standard. So it doesn't have this a special uh, requirement status and therefore it can't be accredited, um, offered as accredited certification. So weird quirk, hope that kind of makes sense to people. Um, but that's kind of the, the rules and, and the process. 
However, BSI are offering an unaccredited certification to it. Um, and what that means, we are, we are following all of those rules that we have to normally for accredited. So in terms of the robustness and the integrity of the process for the certification, we're following exactly the same. What it means for the client organization is when they get their certificate at the end, for an accredited um, certification, the, the badge of the accredited organization is on the certificate. So um, if we're talking in the UK, that's, gen that's pretty much UCAS in other parts of the world, it might be ANAB or local accreditation bodies. So that that's the kind of the demonstration of that accreditation process is you get the logo on your, on your certificate. Um, for the BSI certification, as I say, we are following all of the same rules, the same level of rigour, um, and all it means is the certificate that you get at the end just doesn't have that logo, that accreditation logo on it. Um, so I think there are mechanisms for organisations to be able de to demonstrate that that third party um, assessment and independent um, verification that they're, they're implementing the standard and say BSI are, are doing that. Yeah, well, first of all, that's the first part of the question answered. And that's a really good answer, by the way. And a really great plug for BSI, I should say as well, um, which is fantastic. But I think, you know, companies, they often put themselves up for awards and everything to demonstrate, you know, what they're doing around mentally healthy workplaces. Uh, I think this is far more credible in that, you know, it's not a competition, but anyone can, like, there's, there's not a limited amount of spaces, right? Like anyone can achieve this level of certification, like you say, it's, um, not accredited certification yeah. or what do you what do you call it yeah? Un, unaccredited Unac un unaccredited yeah so we have a yeah, yeah. an unaccredited but, but i mean i think just sorry um jason it's it's worth making the point you know there are there is interest in in having that that certification for some of the reasons you said but it you know i think it's really important to make the point that all of these standards are voluntary. Um, there are one or two places in the world where, uh, and actually Australia is a good example, where some forms of, uh, of standards are written into parts of legislation, but gen generally speaking, you know, they are, they are entirely voluntary. Um, and they're a tool, so you can use some of it, all of it, bits of it, not bits of it, you know, so certification is whether it's accredited or unaccredited is 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 optional it's voluntary you know and it depends on on what you're looking for as, as a business but to come back to your your kind of your other point jason what you're touching on there in, in terms of you know measuring and, and demonstrating it again you know part of the the standard requires you to set objectives um, that are smart and measurable um, and and then you know if you're setting those objectives if you're setting your goals then you have something that you can report on you know and a lot of organizations um, are starting to report on these things in annual reports we've seen it we're seeing it growing again sort of the the ESG agenda that we talked about is is driving that need to report but you can you know um measure the benefits um, of using this tool um, even you know without the need for the certification you know if you're if you're setting your if you're identifying where you are now and you're setting your goals for where you want to be um, then you can you can measure that and you can report internally or you can report externally or you can do a combination of, of both so you know there are there are different ways of, of demonstrating how well you're doing this and yeah you know <clears throat> awards um have some merits um 
I think, you know, the other thing that we're seeing, <clears throat> as this is kind of a UK based one associated with legislation, actually, is the uh, there's the Social Value Act. I don't know whether you've come across this has been introduced as, as part of the kind of procurement for, for government services. Um, and that Social Value Act asks for those procurement organisations, <clears throat> my voice is going, to demonstrate how they are supporting social value within their organisation and the wider community. Um, and it, it's clear from talking to our clients, particularly uh, those in construction, that um, having an, and using and implementing 45,003 is, is a very good way of, of demonstrating um, that, that social value, that social conscience. Yeah, that's a really good point. I believe there's an equivalent in New Zealand, but not in Australia yet. Um, but hopefully we get something like that in place. Yeah, yeah. for sure. I'm just thinking, you know, my background is supply chain. So I spent 30 years working in supply chain. And for me, I see that you know, especially places like construction where big tenders are being given out, you know, the Social Values Act with public sector, the supply chain has such potential mm. to make an impact in terms of getting these standards adopted. Because if it comes to the point that you don't get the contract because you're not investing in your people, that's really powerful, isn't it? Hugely. Yeah, hugely. And I think, you know, we're we see that particularly in construction. I think historically it's it's not been very good at looking after its people. Um, and certainly, again, talk, talking to uh, con construction organisations, they're already saying that they expect to see this push down the, the supply chain. Um, but you're, you're right. And it, it comes back to the point we made earlier when we were talking about things like content moderation. You know, it's not acceptable just to... to to give the stuff that you don't like and is a bit difficult to, to somebody else. You've got to take um, responsibility throughout that supply chain. And again, you know, the, the benefit for the organisation, yes, is reputational, which is really significant, especially in, in the age of social media now, um, where, you know, poor practices are, um, you know, uh, are suddenly uh, global issues um, because of, you know, Twitter or Facebook or, you know, we, we chat or whatever, whatever it happens to be. Um, but again, the, the benefits are wider than that. It comes back to some of the, the quality points that I was making, you know, if, if, if the whole of your supply chain is looking after its people, all of the benefits that we started on at the beginning of this podcast happen throughout that supply chain. So all of that is going to do is, is make your, your service maybe as, as the end, um, end product and client better. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, we can talk it till the cows come home, but it's, it's one short sentence, isn't it? Good people is good. For, uh, looking after your people is good for business. Yeah, it's, absolutely. It's that simple. Um, Jason, um, do you have any final questions for Kate before I ask her the final question? Pete would be really proud of me right now looking at the time <laughs> uh, look like I said before if it's the worst timekeeper hopefully he listens to his horrible at staying on track uh, but it's uh, he, he knows that already um no okay it's been fantastic uh chatting with you um really great to see the perspective of BSI on the standard um Sheila and I obviously agree with you it's a very exciting standard we're really excited to see companies adopt this and um I learned something new that you can get through BSI, um, unaccredited certification, which I think will actually be a, a draw card for many organisations. 
Absolutely, absolutely. So Kate, just one, um, I always end the, our kind of podcast sessions just asking for one take home piece of advice. Um, if, you know, they take one thing from, if business leaders take one thing from our chat today, I think I know what you're going to say, uh, but what would that... Oh, no, no, that would feel the pressure. I'm like, oh, which, which, which bit do I Which bit do I use? Yeah, that'd be only kind of that food for thought that they need to have front of mind. <laughs> so I think for, for for business leaders, I mean, it, com- it comes back to the point that, that you made, that, you know, looking after your people is is, is good for, for organisations. But I'd, I'd just come back to the findings from our organisational resilience survey, you know, leaders are focused on how do they make their organization the most resilient how do they actually create the right conditions to weather disruption like the pandemic and then come out of it stronger the other side and the answer to that question is looking after your people fantastic fantastic and just to echo what jason said um it's been really really interesting talking to you today and finding out more um, about the standing especially around the certification and accreditation because I still think there's a little bit of confusion still um, with people that are just getting familiar with this as to how that works so it's fantastic that BSI um, are offering that accreditation and thank you for your time today. Lovely thank you very much I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. You've been listening to the Psych Health and Safety Podcast. To stay up to date with the latest on psychological injury prevention, follow Flourish DX on LinkedIn and subscribe to the Psych Health and Safety Podcast at www.psychhealthandsafety.com.